You may have heard of the professional baseball player Cookie Rojas. He was a five-time All-Star player, one of the best. He was also on the shorter side. One day, Rojas was being interviewed by a reporter who seemed determined from the start to get under his skin. So right out of the gate, his first question to Rojas was, how does it feel to be the shortest player in the major league? Rojas didn't miss a beat. Right away, he looked this reporter in the eye and retorted, well, a lot better than it would feel being the tallest player in the minor league. <laughs> Thanks, Mike Ramick, for that story. Jesus addresses us in the gospel today. He tells us, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. What's he doing with these metaphors? He wants us to have a healthy sense of our significance, like Cookie Rojas did. Many of us were raised to conflate self-esteem with being puffed up. It's hard for us to say anything good about ourselves because we're taught that that's, that's arrogant. Well, we might not be towering figures on the world stage, you and I, but Jesus wanted us to know that we're still playing in the big leagues. It's a privilege to belong to the human race. That is no minor thing, and it's nothing to put down. Salt is a humble substance. It's plentiful, it's earthy. In your hand, it looks no more glamorous than dust. And yet it was so valuable that this is actually where we get the word salary is from the same root as salt, because in Roman times, sometimes people were paid in salt rather than money. That's how essential it was. It became a measure of worth. So think about salt's uses, especially in Jesus's time. A big one was as a preservative. So of course, we're talking the days without refrigeration here. Salt was how you kept decay at bay. It was what kept food from spoiling. And salt doesn't exist for itself. It exists to season other things. So the smallest bit of it can transform an entire dish because it draws out the flavors around it. It draws out the goodness of other foods that was already there, but it wasn't unlocked yet, so that food tastes more like itself. So Jesus is saying that this is our calling as human beings, to preserve what's good in the world, to draw out things like hope and kindness and generosity, and to stave off the things that are gonna spoil life, things like negativity and judgment and vengefulness and violence and oppression. Reading this gospel this week, I thought about Phyllis Kane, whose funeral was last week. Phyllis kept a daily devotional calendar through the years. She kept it for decades, actually. And in it, she took notes on the calendar of events that felt significant to her. But they weren't things like the day a really major snowstorm hit, or the day the housing market crashed, or the day the pandemic struck. They weren't big news items. Instead, Phyllis's notes would read something like, March 12th, Doug came to dinner. Doug was Phyllis's partner. They had hundreds of dinners together, but she always felt this was worth noting. This was worth marking in her calendar. It was that special to her. January 8th, granddaughter's eighth grade musical. June 26th, spent the day at Sodas Point. She marked these daily occurrences as if they were historic events of the greatest significance. She paid that kind of beautiful attention to the small good things. She didn't let them pass by. Phyllis's notes were like a pinch of salt, preserving and drawing out the best in daily life. Goodness is always there. 
It just has to be coaxed out of hiding. Salt also adds zest, something we really need today. One of our biggest dangers right now is apathy, because things can feel so overwhelming. And there's always the option to spend our days watching Netflix, or endlessly scrolling through our phones, or browsing Amazon, or numbing ourselves in some other way. But Jesus reminds us that life isn't supposed to be a dull getting by. We're meant for more than this. The philosopher Mark Gaffney says, we live in a world of outrageous pain. The only response to outrageous pain is outrageous love. And we should notice that to live out this human calling to be the salt of the earth doesn't require a whole lot. A lot of us get caught up in smaller questions of calling. Is this the right job? Am I in the right place? Should I move from this house or this apartment, this city, this neighborhood? Do I need a change in my career, my living situation? You don't have to know the answer to any of those to be like salt. You don't have to have the perfect job. You don't have to be young or well or able-bodied to live with zest in the place you are. Jesus doesn't say you will be the salt of the earth if you earn your degree or if you get a promotion or if you do better. And he doesn't say you used to be the salt of the earth back in the good old days, back when you were like you used to be. He says you are the salt of the earth. We don't have to be any different than we are right now to be what he asks us to be. So what about this seeming warning from Jesus in this gospel, this vaguely ominous part about if salt loses its flavor, with what can it be seasoned? I don't know about you folks, but I don't feel up to being entirely zesty and light-filled every single day of my life, especially in the winter. I envy those of you who are winter people, but for those of us who aren't, it's harder this time of year to find the zest in life, much less to be the zest. And we've all had days, and some of us have had weeks or months or years, where we feel some sense of burnout or exhaustion or grief. And it does feel exactly like life has lost a little bit of its flavor. So Jesus' words here can land in the way of when someone says, well, don't worry, when we're already paralyzed with fear. Or don't be sad when your heart is breaking and the tears are already flowing and you're barely holding it together. It's bad enough to feel that we lack zest for life, but now is Jesus shaming us for losing it? Sarah Brownell is a professor at RIT, a professor of engineering, and this week we were in a Bible study together where Sarah thought to ask an engineer's question about this gospel that I never would have thought to ask. I'm very grateful for it. She asked, can salt lose its saltiness? Like, is that chemically possible? <laughs> so I had to look that up. <laughs> Turns out the answer is no. Salt is one of the most enduring substances on Earth. The most that can happen is the salt crystals can get coated in some other substance, which gives a temporary sense of salt not tasting like itself. But there's no such thing, actually, as salt that has truly lost its saltiness. 
So what if we've been reading Jesus in a threatening way all this time, when really what he meant to do was encourage us and console us, especially those of us who might feel at a certain time that we're not up to being the salt of the earth? What if his real message was, you can't lose this essential truth of who you are? Even when it seems like things are tasteless and bland, that isn't how they'll stay forever. And no matter what may cover the surface, that deeper composition, that core goodness of you, remains unchanged. So often we do get stuck on that surface level, and we put ourselves down for really things that don't matter too much. There's a therapist named Casey Davis who talks about her own time of depression following the birth of her second baby and during the early time of the COVID pandemic, how during those days small tasks felt like they took a lot of effort and the dishes piled up in the sink and the laundry tended to remain scattered across the couch and the floor and never quite made it to the washer. And all of this set off a spiral in her mind, these cycles of thoughts that started keeping her up at night, thoughts like, oh, look at this messy house. This means I'm failing. This means I'm not capable. This means I'm lazy. This means I'm a bad person. And the layers just kept piling on until she had lost any sense of her own beauty. It was just entirely covered up and hidden from her. And then she came to a realization. She thought about all the decisions that are actually involved with, say, doing a load of laundry. It takes, you have to figure out a lot more than it seems at first. How many clean clothes do you have left? Can this wait till tomorrow, or does it have to be today? Do you need to sort your whites from your colors? Does anything need to be pre-treated? Do you have enough detergent? If not, when will you find time to go to the store? When you get to the store, do you have enough money this week to buy detergent? If so, when you get there, what brand of detergent do you buy? What are the proper settings on the washer? What's the right amount of detergent? So that becomes something you have to Google. And by now, it's 9 p.m. <laughs> if you're already exhausted, emotionally or physically, if you already have decision fatigue from the rest of your life, from your work or your family or some other sphere, then suddenly it doesn't seem like such a simple thing after all to do a load of laundry. So let me make a suggestion, Casey says. What if we changed the starting point for this inner talk that we have with ourselves? What if our starting point in these situations was cooking, cleaning, laundry, doing these things efficiently doesn't make you a good person or a bad person. These things are morally neutral. We spend so much time in judgment of ourselves over things like this, over how tidy or untidy our house is, how much money we make, how well-known we are, how well-liked we are, how short or tall we are, things we have no control over. All of these things are morally neutral. To spend any time putting ourselves down about them or puffing ourselves up is just a waste. They are irrelevant to that essential inner goodness that core composition of us that we can never lose. 
Jesus goes on to say in this gospel, you are the light of the world. A scientist friend of mine taught me a new word last year, phosphine. I don't know if anybody recognizes this one. A phosphine is something that seems to be light but isn't. So maybe the most common one that we run into all the time is if you close your eyes and you press down on your eyelids, you see what seems to be flashes of light. But of course, no actual light is being generated. That's a phosphine. The world is full of these things. The world is full of things that mimic light. Plenty of people pretend to shine with the qualities of God by showing off power or prestige or specialized knowledge. But what's true light? What really illuminates the world? Isaiah tells us in the first reading, share your bread with the hungry, shelter the oppressed and the homeless, comfort the sad and the afflicted, and your light shall break forth like the dawn. This isn't complicated. This isn't an impossible thing. This is within reach of every single one of us. Pope Francis celebrated his 86th birthday earlier this year by giving out awards to three people involved in service work. The prize is called the Mother Teresa Award, and it's given to people who have dedicated their lives to works of mercy and working for justice with the most marginalized people. One he gave to an Italian industrialist who finances building schools and clean water infrastructure in third world countries. One he gave to a Franciscan priest who does humanitarian work in war-torn parts of Syria. And the third he gave to a man who was identified only by his first name, Jean Piero, and better known by his street name of Wu Wei. Wu Wei was from down the street from the Vatican in Rome. He's a homeless man. His income consists mostly of change and spare bills given to him by passers-by. Wu Wei gives away a substantial portion of his collection each day to those he describes as worse off than himself. Kind of puts our tithing in perspective anyway. A man who lives outdoors and subsists on spare change thinks about those worse off than himself. It's within reach of all of us to share what we have to be a light in whatever place we are. So Jesus' message is, no matter how small you feel, don't let anyone put you down or make you feel like you're playing in the minor leagues. Like salt, you add something essential. Life would be missing something without you. You can illuminate the place you are. In the old days, salt was a measure of worth, and maybe it still can be. What if we measured our life not in money or success or accomplishments, but in how much we were salt?